Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, some of you know that I'm a soccer coach. I actually enjoy being a soccer coach. Uh, someone uh, recently put me on to this book. It's called 3D Coaching, put out by a Christian organization. just talks about, hey, huh, uh, here's some ways that you might go about being a better coach. Uh, that you might go about uh, being a better trainer of people in, in the area and whatever sport that you happen to be going into. Here's some, uh, here's some good guidelines to just being a better coach. And I thought, hey, I, I want to be a better coach. So I open up, uh, up to the first chapter, and it's really all about, hey, what kind of coach are you and what kind of coach do you want to be? And, and it really had this very uh, simple way of trying to break down uh, where you are and where you want to be uh, by simply asking, well, what, what kind of coaches did you have growing up? And I started thinking, you know, what kind of coaches did I have? Because they said, uh, you know, you're probably going to coach like you have been coached. Did you have the drill sergeant coach? Anybody drill sergeant coaches out there? I mean, they might, have, might as well have had one of those hard-brim hats yelling at you. Uh, they were very task-oriented. Or did you have the coach that loved you and loved you as a player and wanted to develop you and help you out and, you know, build your character? Well, I'll tell you what. I had the kind of coach that was the drill sergeant. They were task-oriented. It was like, come on, what's wrong with you? Do this! And as I walked through that chapter and I evaluated my own coaching, I thought, that's me. But, but I don't want to be that coach. I want, to be, I want to be the coach that somehow loves my players and organizes them and inspires them to do better. I realized fairly quickly that I'm going to have to Stop doing one thing and start doing another. I'm actually going to stop by starting. That I have to do that if I'm going to be a better coach. Have you ever found that to be true of your, your own life? Maybe it's in parenting, right? Uh, they say that, that we parent how we have been parented. And so we go back to those old habits. Maybe we said, oh, I'm never going to ever say that. And then we did, and we heard it come out of our mouth. And maybe we need to stop and reevaluate, and we need to, to stop by starting. Maybe it's in our work ethic, right? We, uh, we grew up one way, and maybe uh, we, we thought it was okay to, to not really work hard, and yet that's not who we really want to be. We want to be a hard worker, and so we need to, to start by stopping to do something. And I'm, I'm suggesting to you this morning uh, that where that's true in our own lives, whether it be coaching or parenting or work or relationships, uh, that it's true of our relationship with God. Uh, that sometimes if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to serve God, if we want to uh, obey Him, if we want to be faithful, uh, then, then sometimes we're going to have to start by stopping uh, we're going to have to, uh, to begin something else. And this whole idea of, of stopping one thing uh, by starting another thing, this is what the Bible calls repentance. Uh, that sometimes in order to be who it is that God asks us to be, uh, we're going to have to repent. 
Can everybody just say that word with me? Ready? Repent. One more time. Repent. Yes, uh, sometimes uh, we have to stop one thing by starting another, and the Bible calls that repentance. Sometimes, uh, actually, in the Bible, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's God calling his people to return to him. Return to me. Hey, come back. Turn around. Uh, come back in the other direction. Return. Come back. Repent. Come back to me. And it's God simply saying to his people, I want you to stop one thing, and I want you to start doing another. I want you to, to not live in, a, in this way of life, and I want you to live in another way of life. And so this morning, I just want to ask this one question about repentance. I, I, want, to, I want us to look at this one idea about returning to God. Uh, this morning, I, I just want to simply look at and, and, and see uh, what is it that we're supposed to stop and what is it that we're supposed to start. Malachi gives us the answer. Uh, he's this Italian prophet and he's speaking to God's people. And believe it or not, uh, the message seems fairly clear. Uh, in Malachi, God's people need to repent. They need to return to the Lord. They need to stop doing one thing and start doing another thing. In fact, it's fairly clear as we walk down through there, we're going to put our ear to the floor of what Malachi is saying to God's people, and we're going to say, okay, what is it, what is it that I most need to repent of? What is it that I need to return to the Lord what is it that I need to stop and what is it that I need to start? And we put our ear to the floor of what Malachi is saying. This prophet from the Lord, having God's word speak through him. And we get the answer. And what we're going to find is that we do need to stop something and start another. What we're going to find is that, well... There's good results for those who go about doing what God asks. That there's good results for those who, who will repent and return, who will stop and who will start. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Uh, it's going to be in page 670 in your Bibles in front of you. So go ahead. If you don't have a Bible, get one in front of you. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Page 670, Malachi chapter 3. God's people have robbed God. Uh, God's people uh, have actually uh, been so afraid uh, to give up of their finances, so afraid uh, that they weren't going to have enough, that they stopped giving God what was his. Uh, they had agreed to it, and they had actually stopped. And so uh, the message here is just simply going to be, hey, I need you to stop mugging God. Stop robbing him. Join me in verse 7 of chapter 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? 
Well, a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. You see, it seems like Malachi, in his day, there is a, well, there is a lack in God's people. Uh, they had begun to rob God uh, by not giving the full tithe. Now, tithe uh, in, in Old Testament covenant terms is just simply 10%. Uh, they were to give 10% of all of their uh, financial uh, gains to God. And it wasn't God being greedy. It wasn't like God needed the money, okay? Uh, when, when God asked his people to give 10%, it was often so that uh, God's priests... Uh, the ones that he had said, hey, I'm going to speak through these people to help shepherd you and guard, uh, be gatekeepers and shepherds for you. Uh, he said, this is their job. And so I'm going to provide for them uh, through the tithes that you're going to give. And not just that, but the tithes were also there uh, so that those people who were foreigners, uh, who were on the margins of society, the widows, the or orphans, uh, so that all those people on the margins of society could be sustained by God's people. And this, this, the giving of offerings and then the distribution of the offerings to the people in the community, uh, this was going to be one of the ways that God would witness through the nation. It was to be fantastic. And all of the people of God had agreed to this. Right now, that's an important part of the story. Uh, they had all come in inside of the confines of this, what the Bible calls a covenant. It was just relational boundaries. They had entered into the relational boundaries that included this tithe. And they said, yes, absolutely. They threw their hat in the ring. Uh, they said, yes, absolutely. We're, we're totally down with that. And they agreed to it. And now, Malachi is saying, for some reason, they fear. They fear giving all of their finances. Uh, for some reason, uh, they've decided that, that they, they fear being without their financial resources more than they fear the Lord. More than they trust God. And so, he says, of the Lord, you are robbing me. And the result is not good. The result, look down at verse 9. Did you catch it? He says, uh, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, this is not God smiting his enemies, okay? Uh, this idea of a curse isn't like uh, the wicked witch of the West, uh, you know, somehow casting a spell over all of God's people. This is not uh, uh, Sauron, right? He doesn't have a big staff in heaven going, curse you, curse you. That's not what he's talking about. Again, this whole idea of covenant, this whole idea of relational boundaries uh, that God's people have agreed to. And, and what God is saying is, I'm not going to give you my blessing. I'm not going to give you uh, because you are being disobedient. You, you've wandered away. You, you've gone away. And, and, and until you come back, until you return to me, there is no blessing for you. I was, uh, this last summer, I was uh, in uh, Glacier National Park. 
If you ever have a chance to go there, you ought to. And we were doing some hiking around Glacier National Park, and uh, we were there uh, just about as early in the year as you can be. The snow had just melted enough so that you could drive through the entire park. And so we were there, and uh, as we were hiking, we noticed several signs, warning signs, actually. Uh, They were on bright yellow uh, paper just saying, hey, the grizzlies have been here. Be on your guard. Like, stay to the path that is marked out. In fact, we had learned just a few days earlier that there was a biker going down one of the paths, um, and uh, uh, he ran into a grizzly bear and was killed. Now, what Malachi is saying to God's people here is, I gave you this pathway. I I set markers and signs up for you to stay on the path. And yet you decided for whatever reason that you were going to go your own way, and now you're robbing me. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of of God's people saying, I don't really want to stay on the path that God wants for me, in the midst of them saying, I fear this and I'm not going to give it to you, in the midst of all of that, God reminds his people who he is. Look with me at verse 6, would you? It's a simple statement. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. In the midst of all the baggage, in the midst of all that they had done wrong, in the midst of all of the disobedience, God seems fit to try and remind his people who he is. Now, this is good news. Because in the midst of all of who we are, in the midst of all of our missteps, and all of the, in the midst of all of the skeletons that may hang in our closet, God simply is reminding us this morning, He doesn't change. Uh, there was an old magnet that used to hang on my uh, refrigerator. It said something to the extent of, if you feel like you're far away from God, guess who moved? You see, God doesn't change. And in this context, what God is reminding his people of, what he is reminding us of, is that even in the midst of all that they have done wrong, God is still ready, willing, and able to love his people. He's ready, willing, and able to bless his people, but they do have to do something. And it's part of his character to say, hey, if you want to come and live with me, you need to live under my rules. You need to obey me. You need to live in this relationship with me, and I will bless you. When he says, I don't change, he's saying, I want you to understand who I am. And it's a a result of who God is, that he doesn't just write us off. He doesn't just write off his people. He doesn't say, oh, that's it, no more. He says, no. No. Would you return to me? Would you repent? Would you stop this way of living and would you start living another way? It's out of God's character comes this glorious opportunity for God's people to repent. God's people are asked to repent three times more often in the Bible than our people who don't know who God is. 
So those of us who are sitting in this room, uh, those of us who would say, hey, I, I believe in who God is and I want to be a faithful follower in him. It's for us to repent. It's for us to stop one way of living and start another. It's for us to return. And it's out of God's character that he gives us the opportunity because he loves us and wants to bless us. That he gives us an opportunity to repent. So let me ask you, what is it that you're robbing God with? What is it that that you fear the most? Uh, What is it that you fear that you cannot live without and aren't willing to give to God? Uh, Maybe for you, it's like the people in Malachi's day. Maybe for you, it is finances. Uh, Maybe your finances are... uh, have a hold over you. And you are so afraid that if you promise that you will give God something, that he's not really going to come through. And so you begin uh, to hold back. Uh, You begin to to take away uh, what you had promised that you would give to the Lord. And maybe that's what you're afraid of. Maybe for you it is what it was for the people of Malachi's day, and you're most afraid that you can't live without that money. So maybe that's where you rob God. Maybe that's where you need to just simply say, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. I'm going to stop doing that and start living. You see, uh, for the people in Malachi's day, uh, God simply says, if you will give me the offering, this will be A demonstration of your repentance. Look at verse 10. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. He's saying, hey, if you want to repent, if you want to show that you are returning, then change your life activity. Change one thing and start doing another thing. Repent. Return. Start. Now, maybe, maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, I, I don't have any troubles giving money. I, I in fact, love giving money. Maybe, maybe you don't rob God by, by robbing him of what you promised financially. But I wonder if it's possible if we rob God doctrinally. Uh, that's a big $10 churchy word. It just means the teaching of Scripture teaching of the church. I wonder sometimes if, if what we fear most is the loss of a relationship more than a loss of a relationship with God. If we fear losing someone more than we fear and trust the Lord. I wonder if we fear that, uh, that perhaps uh, we're going to lose notoriety with someone. I wonder if we fear if we're, we're going to lose position or influence or popularity. And so when it comes to the doctrines of the Bible, we maybe when given an opportunity with a friend, we say, eh, you know what, I don't believe that. But you believe whatever you want. That's not my cup of tea, but you know, to each their own. I've shared from up here before. I have a sister who's a Jehovah's Witness. Now, I love my sister. She's fantastic. 
we disagree. We disagree about the Bible. We disagree about Jesus. We disagree about things like salvation and who Jesus really is. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to rob God so that I can just play nice with my sister. Now, I love my sister, but I love God more. You see, the calling of the disciple that Jesus had for us, wasn't it? Uh, He said some really hard things. He said, uh, those who I would call, uh, I would ask them uh, to hate their father or mother, their brothers and sisters for the sake of me. Our allegiance is first to Jesus. And so when you come into those circumstances uh, where someone else disagrees with you, but perhaps in a loving and gentle and the kindest way that you know how, you can just simply say, you know what, that's, that's not what I think God says. Do you rob God doctrinally? Do you rob him of the teachings of Scripture? And if so, this morning God's giving you an opportunity. He's saying, hey, I haven't changed. My promises are still here. Their open door is right here. Would you return to me? Would you repent? Would you stop fearing that you were going to lose influence or notoriety or popularity or your friendship? Would you trust me? Would you lose a friend before you'd lose me? I wonder if, in addition to robbing God doctrinally, sometimes if we're tempted to rob God morally. I wonder if, if at times with our friends or in our relationships, we're tempted to say, yeah, you know, I, it's, again, it's not my thing. You know, I don't have that problem. You do whatever you want. Uh, because sin is uncomfortable, isn't it? I don't want to, I don't really want to talk to you about your sin. Because then I might open up the door for you to talk about mine. And it's uncomfortable. You know, today in our world, college students, uh, they... They go to college with the expectation uh, that they're going to drink and they're going to party and they're going to experiment sexually. That's the expectation. And I wonder if if you had an an opportunity to talk with a college student before going off to college, if you had an opportunity to, to talk about their kinds of social expectation, and this would come up if you would say, well, be careful. Or you would say, I don't think that's right. That's not the kind of life that God would have you live. And you know what is hard about that? Sometimes it means that we have to delve into our own past and our own failure. Because what we're afraid of is being a hypocrite. And so we rob God morally by saying, well, you know, just... Try and be safe, okay? Are you robbing God? 
Are you so afraid of losing something that you're not willing to give your devotion to the Lord? Now, I wonder if, if sometimes we, we rob God with our justice, our sense of justice. Now, let's say that there's a person down the street. There's a couple. There's two men living together. And someone who, who terribly dislikes this sort of lifestyle decides to vandalize their entire home. Now, you don't agree with their lifestyle. You, you actually think it is a sin, and you've had conversations with them about it. But you decide, you know what? Jesus said something about loving people, even if they struggle with sin. And so you decide, you're going to go over there, and you're going to help clean up all the vandalism. You're going to help paint over the... Uh, the the language of hatred that, that was spray-painted on the side of their house. And you're not going to worry about what other people think, even if you lose something else, because you've decided, I'm not going to rob God of justice anymore. What is it that you're robbing God of? And if you are, God says, I haven't changed. Would you return to me? Would you stop living this certain way and would you start living another way? Would you repent and come back to me? And there's a glorious result. Uh, there's something good at the end. Uh, there's something that is undeniable with God's abundance. If only God's people will repent and come back. I want you to hear this from the word of the Lord. Verse 10, he says, Hey, I want you to bring the whole tithes into the storehouse that they may be food for my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And notice what he says. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and, the, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delight in the land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, uh, this is not a promise from the Lord, by the way, uh, to say, hey, if you give, uh, then you can expect large unmarked bills in your bank account. Okay? Let me just be very clear. I don't have a large bank account, but I think what God is saying is that when we will return to him, when we will stop robbing, and we will give him what we fear most, and we will repent, and we will return, and we will start doing one thing, and that will be a way of stopping another, that he is saying, I will show you my blessing. I will show you my abundance. I will show you my promises. I will show you what it's like in this relationship. If you will only come back into this relationship with me, if you will come back inside the boundaries, if you will come back inside the fence, I will show you who I am. And for Malachi's people, 
He said, if you will start giving to me as you have promised, I will make sure that you know that I will give you the blessings that I promised. He's saying, hey, you know that, that, that relational covenant that we signed, that contract, those terms that we set out, I'm still good with it. And the door stands open. If you will walk through it, I'll make sure that you see me. What does that look like for us? I think God promised us great fellowship in the church. Over my time in the church that's now three decades long, I think and I think, man, at every stage of my life, God has provided the church for me. Uh, There have been people uh, uh, of extreme influence in my life at certain points that I desperately needed someone. And God has shown up there. And I have noticed, I I have been the benefactor of the abundance of God through the church. Maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need a confidant. I think if you are willing to return to the Lord, he's willing to say, let me show you my church. I mean, there are people in this room right now that have been so influential in my life that I think, man, I want to be more like that. I have a great friend. His name is Eddie. And I think, man, where would I be without Eddie? If I died tomorrow, he's going to do my funeral. Because... I can go to Eddie and I can share with him anything. I can unload any baggage. I can can confess to him sin. I can celebrate with him. I can be joyful with him. We can laugh and cry together. And the Lord gave us that friendship. Malachi is saying, when you will give up what you fear most and you will return, the Lord will show up in abundance to you. And it might be through those relationships. It might just simply be uh, that when you get up in the morning, you have a purpose. That the Lord, uh, for all the individuals represented here, has given all of us a purpose. Uh, That that we're not just wandering through life, but that he has given us something uh, so that we can go out and represent him really well. Maybe it's just a simply... Uh, the fact that you can get up and have joy in your day. Maybe it's patience with the people that, that you're, you are at this moment dealing with around you. Maybe it's freedom from anxiety and worry. Maybe it's freedom from uh, what's going to happen when I die. I don't know what it is. But God's saying if you will return, if you will give up what you fear most... I'll show up in abundance. And did you notice verse 12? Uh, When God shows up in abundance, people notice, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delight in the land. When God shows up in abundance in your life because you have feared him, because you have handed what you fear most and walked through the door of repentance, he says, I'm going to show up in abundance in your life. And people are going to know. And you know what that gives you an opportunity to do? Yeah, you know what? 
God's pretty good. Let me tell you. So, what will you stop? I hope you will stop robbing God. What will you start? I hope you will start returning to him. And I pray the result is that God shows up in abundance for you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness, your word. And I pray, Lord, that that I will stop robbing you. I pray that I will stop robbing you and I will start repenting, returning, that I will live how you've asked me to live. God, help me to be faithful. And Lord, I pray that I will notice those areas in my life in which you are showing up in great abundance. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the open door. Thank you for being who you are. God, lead me and all those within earshot of my voice this morning to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.